0: reading from the book of Acts. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified through him for everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. As they were leaving, the people urged them to speak about these matters the following Sabbath. After the synagogue had been dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas, who were speaking with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. The following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying, insulting him. Paul and Barnabas boldly replied, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. We are turning to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light... For the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord, and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. The word of the Lord.
1: All right. I'm excited to jump into this passage this morning as we wrap up our vision series. And I also just want to say, welcome to the fall. It's officially fall. If you didn't know that, now you know that. And in our house, when uh, fall comes around, we pull out all of our soup recipes. I don't know if anybody else does this. It's a great time to start making soup, right, of all different kinds. And I actually remember a couple years ago, I was excited to make a batch of uh, broccoli cheddar soup. I love it. Not always the best thing for you, but it's a good soup. And so I started making this uh, soup, and we have this recipe. And here's the deal. I like to deviate from the recipe. I just do. I can't help it. And I was like, maybe I can enhance this. Maybe I can make this better than it normally is. It's good, but we can always make it better. And so I get really tied up in, uh, in trying to enhance and adding other things in. I sort of get off the recipe. I put it to the side. And if you know our kitchen, um, everything's not just in bags, like uh, bags of flour, bags of sugar, bags of salt, all that. Laura has like these cool little clear um, jars. And so everything's in there. And, and so I remember doing this, being so focused on enhancing this recipe And uh, I'm pulling things, I'm adding them in, and then we get to the end and I taste this. And it's a nightmare. It's the worst tasting soup that I've ever put in my mouth. And so I call Laura over and I'm like, hey, can you taste this, right? Uh, Is something wrong with me here? And she's like, okay. She tastes this. She's like, that's horrible. What happened? What did you do? Here's what I did. I thought I was adding flour. I was actually adding powdered sugar. And those are not the same it doesn't work. And uh, so at the end of the day, we had a great meal. It was called pizza. It wasn't soup. Um, Why do I share this? Here's why. I'm going to connect the dots here. These first three weeks, we've decided as a church to focus on our vision. And so far, we've unfolded um, a lasting community and a flourishing city. And all of this is an outworking of what we're talking about today, a gospel movement. It all comes out from that. This is so important to us. At One Fellowship, we are all about the gospel of Jesus. If you're new here, we want to make that abundantly clear. This is where we live and breathe as a church. And as we walk through this sermon today, really a sermon um, from the Apostle Paul. So this is like kind of a turducken message, if you know what that is. It's a sermon within a sermon. That's what we're going to look at today. I want us to think through three lenses specifically. What the gospel is what it does, and what that means for you, for us, for those around us, that at our very core, it's not something that we're quick to move away from. It's not something that we're looking to enhance. It's not something that we're quick to pick up and just as quick to put down. This is where we make our home. And this is such good news. And so let me pray for us. We're going to dive into this passage. Jesus, thank you for your word. I pray that you would illuminate it today for our hearts and minds to hear. I pray that you would make it abundantly clear today. I pray that no matter who we are, what we've come in with, that you would meet us where we are. Thank you for this word. Thank you for this sermon from Paul. Thank you for being here among us through your spirit. Would all of this be for our good, for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're actually going to start in verse 13. I didn't want, um, didn't want Austin to have to read a million verses. So we're starting in verse 13. This is going to lay some context. So here we go. Paul, the Apostle Paul. This is his first missionary journey. And he is with his companion, Barnabas, partners in ministry. And it says, Paul and his companions set out from, Paph- from Paphos, and they came to Perga, Pamphylia, a lot of peas. But John left them, and he went back to Jerusalem. And they continued their journey to Perga, and they reached Pisidian Antioch. I told you, a lot of peas. They're in Antioch now. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue, and they sat down. Much like today, you've come in here, into this service. You're sitting here. And after reading the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, you can speak. And so you may think that services were a lot different back then, but they actually followed this pretty clear order, somewhat similar to what we're doing today. They would have opening prayers, and then they would look at a passage or a reading from the uh, law, which are the first five books of the Old Testament, and then they would look at a reading from the prophets, and then they would look around. And if there was a guest or there was another scholar, an educated person that might have a word of encouragement that would relate to what they had just heard and read they would invite them to speak and they do this with Paul and I don't think they have any idea what they're getting into because Paul being Paul someone who was just persecuting and trying to kill Christians has had his entire life turned around by none other than Jesus and his message is clear and it's heartfelt and it's what he's giving his entire life to now and so when they come to Paul and they say, hey, do you want to share any words of encouragement? He's like, yeah, I guess I have a few that I could share with you, right? <laughs> and so he gets up and he shares. And here's what I want us to see. Here's what the gospel is. Here's what the gospel is. So Paul stood up and he motioned with his hands and said, fellow Israelites and you who fear God, listen. And for us, let's listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our ancestors and made the people prosper during their stay in the land of Egypt. And he led them out with his mighty arm. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. This all took about 450 years. After this, he gave them judges until Samuel, the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin. For forty years. After removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart, who will carry out my will. From this man's descendants, as he promised, God brought to Israel the Savior who? Jesus. Before his coming to public attention, John, John the Baptist, had previously proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all people of Israel. Now, as John was completing his mission, he said, who do you think I am? I am not the one, but one is coming after me, and I am not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. First, When Paul says, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen, Paul isn't just speaking to the Jews. He's speaking to Gentiles, those outside of the family of God, if you will, the people of God who were interested in Judaism. And they're there. And this is so important. This is a mixed crowd. God's plan unfolding in the early church. Now, what's Paul getting at here? In tracing the story all the way back to Moses... Until John the Baptist, and it's stretching, here's what he's saying. It's all leading up to Jesus. (laughs) It's all pointing to Jesus. This is why we as a church go through books of the Bible because we believe from Genesis to Revelation, all of it is pointing toward Jesus. This promised Messiah who has come, who has done something that we could not do This is why when we read stories like David and Goliath, we don't go, well, be like David and fight your giants, right? Instead, we say this is a picture of Jesus, who's the better David, the one that came to fight on our behalf and put our greatest enemy, sin, to death. When we look at the story of Abraham being called to sacrifice his son, we don't say, well, be like Abraham and simply keep the faith. Instead, we say, no, this is pointing to Jesus, the lamb that was caught and offered up, the one who would be slain for the sins of the world. Jesus is the better Adam, the better Noah, the better Moses, the better Abraham, the better Ruth, and the better Joseph. It's all pointing to Jesus. Paul continues. He says, brothers and sisters, whoo, I'm already tired, but we're keeping going. Brothers and sisters, children of Abraham's race, those among you who fear God, it is to us that the word of this salvation has been sent. Don't miss it. Since the residents of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize him or the sayings of the prophets that they read every Sabbath, they have fulfilled their words by condemning him. And though they found no grounds for the death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him killed. When they had carried out all that had been written about him, they took him down from the tree and put him in a tomb. Why this language about being put on a tree? Because a tree was a curse. What Paul's getting at is the one who was cursed is now a blessing to you because of what he endured. And so God raised him from the dead. He appeared for many days to those who came up from Galilee to Jerusalem and are now his witnesses to the people. And we ourselves proclaim to you this good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors. God has fulfilled this to us, their children, by raising up Jesus. And it is written in the second Psalm, You are my son, today I have become your father. As to his raising from the dead, never to return to decay or death. He has, all, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure promise of David. Therefore, he also says in another passage, You will not let your holy one see decay. For David, after serving God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He died. He was buried with his fathers. He decayed. But the one God has raised up did not decay. Therefore, let it be known, brothers and sisters, that through this man, hear it, don't miss it, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. This is mind-blowing to this audience who were still totally believing that the law was going to uphold them. Everyone who believes is justified through him and from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, hey, those who are hearing, those who are listening, us included, he's saying this is the one that God promised your ancestors. This is the Messiah. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a good prophet. He's not anyone or anything that anyone else would tell you. Many have rejected him. You'll be tempted to reject him, to move past him, to move on, but now you have an opportunity to know him. And I don't know if you know the original origin of the word gospel, but it doesn't start with the ministry of Jesus. You can actually track it back to Augustus in 9 BC. You have this new king that's born and a kingdom that's expanding. Here's where this word gospel comes from. As the armies would be sent out and they would go into new lands, there would be people that were not a part of this kingdom. And as these armies would conquer these lands, they wouldn't kill the people, they would bring them in to this kingdom and they would send word back. And they would say, those who were once not apart are now apart. And it was good news that the kingdom was expanding. Our gospel, that the family's getting bigger, that people are being invited in and the family increases. Gospel. The fact that Jesus came for us, died for our sins, overcame sin and death three days later, has not and will not die again, but has ascended is seeding, finished work at the right hand of God, good news. Good news for you and for me in light of all of the false gospels that this world will throw at you, in, in light of all of the other world religions that you could take part in, ones that will say, you need to work for it. You need to earn my approval, right? Instead, God says, I have a better way. I'm going to send my son who's going to die for you, and now you can freely take part in this beauty of grace, this unearned, unmerited, undeserved favor. And it all starts with this good news, what our heart longs for, this good God who created us and literally said, it is good. But then when we, not he, rebel, this good God introduces a good plan to take orphans and give them a family, to take the broken and make them whole again, to take the outsider and give them a community and take the lost by the hand and bring them back home. Good news. And we bathe in it. Week in, week out, day in, and day out, we need this good news because of what it means and what it does. And so, why is it so important that we as a church here at One Fellowship are centered on this? That this is such a big piece of our vision. It's what makes us One Fellowship. A few weeks ago, I was with my son Silas, and on Fridays, he doesn't go to school. He goes Monday through Thursday, and I'm also off on Fridays, and so we spend the day together on Fridays. And it was a nice day out, and we decided to go to the neighborhood pool and go swimming. And it was the middle of the day, like 11 o'clock. No one else was there, just me and Silas, which was great. Um, it's this huge pool in our neighborhood. It's this Olympic-sized pool because they, um, they have swimming meets there. And there had been a storm a couple days before. And so we're, we've got branches and stuff, and we pulled those out. And, and we find ourselves in the very middle of this pool. And, and Silas, not me, he looks over and he points, and he spots a wasp that's in the water. He says, hey, look, there's a wasp. And I said, well, hey, then we're going the other way. Like we're not friends with wasps, but he's so intrigued. And I look and I see this wasp and it's drowning and it's barely making it. It's trying to fly, but it can't. It's wet. And he wanted so desperately to get the wasp out of the water. And I think just being a child, he didn't want to get it out of the water to, um, cause he was scared of it. He saw that it was kind of struggling and he wanted to get it out. He loves animals. I didn't want anything to do with this. This was not important to me, but it was important to him. And so the first thing we started to do was we started to make waves and try to just push the wasp, right? Essentially, uh, waterboarding the wasp and drowning him. (laughs) He is struggling more as we try to push him toward the, it's not working, it's not working. We tried to help him. What became apparent is that there was something else this wasp needed, and so there was a cup. I have no idea who's on the side of the pool. We go out, we get this cup, we come back into the pool, we find the wasp. And then we cup this wasp up and we go back to the side of the pool and we dump it out and we stand at a distance and we watch and this wasp uh, comes about its senses and it flies off. Why do I share this? The, the wasp, a 50-50 endeavor wasn't going to work here. Us meeting the wasp where he was and us both just working together and helping one another wasn't going to work. You know what this wasp needed? A complete rescue. You know what you and I needed? A complete Rescue. We were dead in our sin. We were hopeless. We were helpless. We weren't reaching up to God and saying, Let me meet you halfway, God. Just come down and, and do enough so that, so that I'll be good. We had our backs completely turned on Him, and He reaches down. He moves into the neighborhood. He reaches the brokenness, and He says, I'll even live among you. I'll jump down into the gutter with you, into the ditch of your life with you, and I will pull you out completely because you need a holistic rescue, not just a little bit of help. Look at what the people do here. I love this. Therefore, um, Paul says, Let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man Jesus' forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. This is what the gospel does. This is, why does it matter so much, again, that we're a gospel-centered, Christ-centered church, that we aren't about using the Bible simply as a rule book or a roadmap. Why is it so important that everything we do is birthed in and comes back to the finished work of Jesus and who he is, because nothing and no one else could solve our greatest problem. We didn't just need help. We needed the complete rescue. Paul is clear. The law couldn't do this. Living up to a set of rules couldn't do this. No matter how much good you do, how many commandments you don't break, you will still fall short, like way, way, way short. The Gospel Transformation Bible says this, the law serves only to heighten our understanding of our own sin. It hung over us as a ministry of death threatening to kill us. What the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his own son. And look at how the people respond to this good news. As they were leaving, the people urged them to speak about these matters the following Sabbath. Will you come back next week and share? After the synagogue had been dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking with them and urging them to continue in the grace of God. I love this word, grace, grace. Grace changes everything. It does. It says, continue in the grace that the gospel at its core is grounded on grace, unearned, undeserved, compassion, mercy, love, favor, that God shows a bunch of rebellious misfits like you and me. So we plant our feet firmly here. It's our beginning. It's our middle. It's our end. It's our hope in life in death, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you. It's the gospel of grace that tells us that you aren't what you've done, that you have a new name, righteous. It's only the gospel of grace that can bring the dead literally back to life, a miracle. It's the good news soaked in grace that enables a love that we could never manifest in and of ourselves. It's this gospel of grace that is freely given to every humble, surrendered, imperfect man, woman, or child that cries out, Jesus, I need you. What good news. And so the following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. Picture this. Picture the whole town coming out to hear this. Well, somebody doesn't like it. When the Jews saw the crowd, specifically the Jewish leaders, these religious leaders, they were filled with jealousy. And they began to contradict what Paul was saying, insulting him, insulting Jesus. The Jewish leaders weren't happy about this. Why? Why? They had their own agenda, and this was not it. Freeing people from the law, not it, right? They were angry. They were upset. A gospel movement, it's far too easy, and it will be far too tempting for the church, for us to move on to something else, to um, normalize the gospel, to lose our awe for it. We have to be so Protective that we don't become about a different movement. It'd be easy for us to become about a cause, and now that drives the ship. It'd be easy for us to simply become about getting bigger, and now everything we do is focused on that. To become about getting the city's acceptance, so we kind of alter the message accordingly. To become about a ministry, but not the ministry of Jesus. To become about being just a community, but not a gospel community built on grace. For us to become all about entertainment and entertaining you so that you keep showing up. Can I just tell you this? We are never going to be the most entertaining or coolest church on the block, but we t- will tell you about the good news of Jesus week in and week out. Amen. Because, because that's what we desperately need and that's what our hearts long for. Some of these are good, but they have to be an outworking of the gospel. Otherwise, they will become a replacement for it. John Stott says this, one of my favorite theologians. He says, all around us, we see Christians and churches relaxing their grasp on the gospel, fumbling it, and in danger of letting it drop from their hands all together. And so in the face of this pushback, which you'll get, which Paul and Barnabas got, they boldly replied, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we're now turning to the Gentiles, to the outsiders. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the gospel means for us and for all of those around us. Don't miss it. This is so exciting. These beautiful words pointing all the way back to Isaiah, this declaration that this is good news for all people. Amazing. This would have left the people in absolute awe that the gospel of Jesus is our foundation and it's also our celebration. This good news enacted by the father as he sends the son and the son carries it out and now is illuminated by the Holy Spirit. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and they honored the word of the Lord, and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. This is why every single Sunday you're going to hear about Jesus and his finished work. This is why every single Sunday we're going to sing about Jesus. We're going to lift his name high. What a beautiful name it is. What a powerful name it is. This name of Jesus, our King, our Lord. This is why in all of our groups it's going to come back to grace, what we need to sustain us, what we need to live day in and day out in a broken world and broken bodies with broken pasts. It's all going to come back to Jesus. If we ever deviate and move away from Jesus, I would encourage you to move on to another church. This is where we're founded. This is where we're grounded. There's nobody else that has the power to bring the dead back to life, that has the power to turn Paul, a murderer of Christians, and now to the greatest missionary we've ever known. It sits on, it's rooted, in. it's grounded, and it's cemented into the floor of the personal work of Jesus. And that's where we remain. You cannot have, and you've experienced this, genuine, authentic, vulnerable community without grace. You cannot have true forgiveness without grace. There's no restoration without it. There's no sacrificial love without it. There is no hope without it. And that is why we as a church, it's so important that we circle one another and we remind one another of this truth day in and day out, day in and day out, that we don't simply rely on our feelings, but we celebrate this truth, that in the good, in the challenging, that in the devastating, we don't offer one another ten principles to a better tomorrow. When we have doubts, we go to the good news that we have a patient father who proves his love by sending his son and a helper to remind us. When expectations don't become a reality, we go to the good news that Jesus wants to take our burden and carry it. When our marriages struggle, we don't run to self-help or white-knuckling, but to the good news that through Jesus, forgiveness, grace, and restoration are possible. When we hurt one another, we don't seek vengeance, but we remember the good news that when we hurt God, he forgave us and offered us a new lease on life. When we sin and feel shame, we remember the good news that Jesus has cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. And even when it feels like everything is falling down around us and we feel like walking away or throwing in the towel, we come back to and believe the good news that a good God who has a good plan is not going to vacate that plan regardless of what we do because his love endures through the brightest day and the darkest night and he offers a living hope that is found in our. King and Savior Jesus. And this good news, it's for us, but it's not just for us. It's meant to be shared. It's meant to spread to every man, woman, and child God puts in front of us. I love this. It's a message that says, in Christ, no matter how much or how bad you botch it, God loves you just the same because Jesus' sacrifice was good enough. It's for your neighbors here in Charleston. And it is for everyone, Uh, it it stretches far beyond here, that's what I want to say. It's as good for your neighbors here in Charleston as it is for every tribe in Kenya right now. The gospel shows no bias, it doesn't see class, it doesn't see skin color, it doesn't see age, and no one is beyond it or beneath it. It humbles the strong and it saves the weak. And it's not just for the Jews, as Paul says. It's for the Gentiles. He believed this at his core, which which is why his message said, a gospel that isn't available to everyone shouldn't be a gospel for anyone. And what happens as this good news is shared? The word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. I love what Josh McDowell says. Wherever Jesus has been proclaimed, we see lives change, nations change, thieves become honest, alcoholics become sober, hateful individuals become channels of love, and the unjust embrace justice. What's the point? Jesus changes, say it, everything. We say it week in and week out because we believe it and we need it. And so how does the gospel move? It moves through the power of the Spirit through you, the church. Not the church as an organization, the church as a people. That wherever you go after this morning, into your neighborhoods, work tomorrow, schools, places where we live, learn, and play, the gospel goes with you as you are a missionary of this good news. Just imagine a city that is saturated with this good news as God's people go out and share it, as they live into it, as they show grace, as they model it. Imagine schools that are changed as the gospel saturates Imagine the neighborhoods, imagine our work that are moved by the gospel of Jesus. Imagine broken homes being put back together, marriages that look completely broken being restored and strengthened, addictions broken, families being saved, atheists become believers, new gospel legacies being born as the spirit goes in and through you, the church, out into the community, through the gospel, it's possible. God is just that good. I know we've nailed this home today over and over and over, but as as one of your pastors, I care about it so much. The gospel is not something we move from. It's something we are always striving to move closer to because it's the very heartbeat of God for his kids. Here's the big idea in all of this. The gospel of Jesus is our home, a message of grace and a movement of hope. And so how do we respond? If you've never accepted this gospel, Jesus is inviting you in. You don't have to clean yourself up. Come as you are. He says, Hand me your worst. Hand me your past. Hand me your brokenness. Hand me your pride. I'll give you new life. For the church, how do we respond? Two ways gratitude. Once, praise be to God for this good news. Let us soak and bathe in it. We need it. Let it be grace that motivates the way I live, the relationships I have, how I see the world. And then supplication meaning we pray on the behalf of our city, our neighbors, our schools, our work, that the gospel would spread, that it truly would be this movement that floods, that revival would happen in unspeakable ways, and that we would have boldness and courage to share the good news of what's changed our very life, what has brought us, the dead, back to life. Thanks be to God, this good news. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you did that we could never do. We deserve death. You offer us life. We deserve condemnation. You offer us new hope. May we stay rooted in this truth. May it never become mundane. May it never lose its awe. God the Father, thank you for loving us so much. Jesus the Son, thank you for coming. Holy Spirit, thank you for moving as a helper that reminds us of our truest identity now with sons and daughters, only made possible by this grace-filled gospel of Jesus Christ. May you forever be lifted high in this place, in this church, in this city, in this world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.